Okay, I guess we'll get started. Everybody? Okay, good. <laughs> no one listens to me either, so that's perfect. Okay, um, so I just uh, wanted to introduce Brock Christensen uh, today, uh, our speaker. Uh, this is the last uh, Grand Rounds for 2015, so we'll see everyone back uh, in 2016 after the holiday break. Um, Brock is a, a you know, very um, productive uh, junior uh, faculty member here at Dartmouth. He's been here for five years now um, and has really made great strides in his, well, almost five, close. It's coming up on five. Um, great strides in his research program. I think um, many people would agree that Brock is really the uh, prototypical multidisciplinary investigator, and I think you'll see that in his presentation. Um, you know, he has expertise in molecular biology, genetics, genomics. Uh, epidemiology, biostatistics, and bioinformatics, and, and has really contributed to all of those fields in his work. Um, and so we're really excited uh, for him to present uh, what he's, um, some of the work that they're up to in his lab now about breast cancer. And I will mention that he has no conflicts to declare. That's my job to say that. I got that one right. And so now, Brock. Thanks, Carmen. Um, wow, that's new. I guess that's what you get for being the anchor spot in 2015. Um, so today I'm going to talk, uh, thanks to the Cancer Center uh, for the invitation to share some of our work. Again, as Carmen mentioned, I don't have anything to disclose. I won't discuss any off-label or unapproved products or devices, and I don't have any commercial support for this talk today. But what I want to do to start is show you a, a lot of data. So this is... Um, breast tumor and normal DNA methylation data contributed from the TCGA in 2012, where the left column here uh, shows normal breast tissues. And then on, on the right, we have uh, tumors arranged in columns. And what you can notice from this is that not only is there a, a large difference between tumor and normal DNA methylation in the breast, but we can also see down here, these methylation clusters labeled one through five, that there's a, a significant relation of methylation cluster membership with the intrinsic gene expression-based subtypes of breast cancer. And these methylation clusters were derived from an algorithm developed by Andy Hausman back in 2008. And um, so even though there's not a, a perfect uh, stratification of methylation cluster by gene expression subtype, we can see that the basal tumors, which are tend to be triple negative, are, are clustering over here. And some of the uh, luminal B tumors are enriched in classes three and four. But the, the take-home pieces, and the reason why I'm starting out with showing you a lot of data, is that here we can observe that methylation alterations are extensive in breast tumors compared with uh, normal tissue, and that the expression-based tumor subtypes have some significant relationship with methylation classes. And we're going to come back to some of this later in the talk. But the other thing uh, that I want to say is that not only are there extensive alterations to methylation in invasive breast tumors compared with normal, but it, uh, we can also observe that methylation is highly altered in, in the pre-invasive stage of disease, suggesting that um, these widespread alterations occur early in the disease process, in early in breast carcinogenesis. And one of the, challenge, the challenges to this is that it makes it difficult to identify what might be the earliest DNA methylation alterations in the carcinogenic process and 
among those, which might be the ones that are actually driving the disease process. And I hope to be able to, to uh, show you some results from our work that, that get, begin to get at that question. The, the last data slide I want to show you before moving to some background is this is just another way of visualizing this heat map here, comparing um, 40 DCIS specimens with adjacent normal tissues in this volcano plot. You can see uh, a large difference in methylation that is highly significant between DCIS and normal tissues. And this extends to almost 100,000 uh, CPG sites in the genome. That's about a quarter of the, the CPGs that are being measured here that are uh, significantly differentially methylated. And we've confirmed this in a, in a separate set of DCIS and normal tissues to largely be consistent, but not entirely uh, consistent, showing that there is some variation as well. That's the coefficient for the, the mixed linear effects model comparing normal to tumor. So it's, it's effect size, really. The farther you are over, the, the larger the difference in methylation between normal and tumor. So we can ask, how will understanding the patterns of methylation alterations in breast carcinogenesis <laughs> and progression have the potential to impact public health? And shown in this diagram is the, the process of starting with a, a normal duct that has uh, its basement membrane intact and is lined with myelepithelial and basal cells as well as luminal epithelial cells. And then to DCIS, which is the next step down where you have duct filling. And then with invasive breast cancer, you lose the basement membrane and begin to have invasion of the tumor and then finally metastasis. But what we hope is that by studying DNA methylation in the normal breast, pre-invasive disease and invasive breast cancer that we may be able to start to identify some of the key or driving epigenetic alterations in the carcinogenic process, as well as those that may contribute to progression of disease between DCIS and invasive cancer. And this, if we're able to identify some of these alterations, it may help to inform strategies for, for primary and secondary prevention. So, before the TCGA data were published, it had already been recognized that invasive breast tumors have a profoundly distorted epigenetic landscape. And more broadly, it's also been shown that epigenetic alterations are early events in other tumor types. So this is a story today about breast cancer, but we do um, have interest in studying uh, other cancers in the lab as well, and, and um, some of these findings and approaches may be applicable to other disease types. Of course, the, with breast cancer, the scope of the public health problem and, and potential impact is large, and that has to do with the high number of estimated new cases of breast cancer each year in the United States, which are approaching uh, a quarter million. And to give you maybe a sense of that, the population of Vermont is something like 600,000. So, um, I mean, it's a large public health problem. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, give you a little bit of background on DNA methylation to start, and then I hope to be able to tell you uh, three stories of uh, pieces of work in the lab. The first is uh, the relation of methylation in DCIS and the development, future development of invasive breast cancer. And then I want to get back to trying to identify common and, and early alterations in, in breast carcinogenesis 
And then finally, um, more of a, a broad approach to understanding the, the burden of DNA methylation alterations in breast cancer. So for those of you who uh, may not be familiar, DNA methylation is an epigenetic mark, and it serves to control gene expression or gene expression potential, and it involves the covalent addition of a methyl group to the fifth carbon in cytosine. The reaction itself is catalyzed by DNA methyltransferase enzymes where acetylmethionine serves as the methyl donor group. And it's important to recognize that the addition of uh, methyl mark to cytosine occurs in the context of CPG dinucleotides in the genome, and that these CPGs tend to be this dinucleotide, if you consider all possible dinucleotides, AAT, AG, and so on, that CPGs are underrepresented in the genome uh, by what you would um, expect. However, they do tend to concentrate in gene promoter regions in what's known as CPG islands. So again, CPG islands are just then concentrations of CPGs, and they tend to be unmethylated in normal cells. And they occur, these CPG islands occur, uh, again, they tend to occur in gene promoter regions. They can occur elsewhere, but approximately half, actually a little bit more than half of uh, human genes are known to have a CPG island in their promoter region. And this can serve to control gene expression or gene expression potential. And in, in tumors, it has been observed widely that methylation of CPG islands in a gene promoter region can lead to uh, gene silencing. And this can happen at tumor suppressor genes. And you can also have loss of DNA methylation elsewhere in the genome where the, the state in normal cells is methylated, that is, away from concentrations of CPG islands. Now, to give you a sort of a, a visualization of, of how DNA methylation serves to participate in regulation of gene transcription, we can draw a, a DNA, a piece of, a strand of DNA here, which, um, you know, is nice and straight and linear and doesn't take into account, uh, you know, secondary structure and things like that. But for the purposes of this, it should work fine. If this is our transcription start site and these empty uh, circles represent unmethylated CPG dinucleotides, and here we have a concentration of them, so we can call it a CPG island. When these CPGs are unmethylated, it allows for the, the DNA tends to be open, and it's permissive for binding by transcription factors, which can recruit coactivators, and, and then uh, the gene is able to be transcribed. In, in the case, however, given the same promoter, if this CBG island were methylated, it can result in the recruitment of methyl binding domain proteins, histone deacetylases, and, and co-repressors resulting in uh, condensed chromatin and uh, loss or lack of accessibility for gene transcription. Now, I want to take just a minute to tell you how we're measuring methylation in the data that I'm going to present and the way that it was measured in the initial data slides. So we know that uh, cytosine methylation is a stable mark because it's a covalent bond of the methyl group to the cytosine. And one of the ways that we can leverage um, chemistry to measure DNA methylation is by treating genomic DNA with sodium bisulfite. And this results in deamination of unmethylated cytosines to uracil, which are then 
propagated as thymine in, in subsequent PCR reactions or whole genome amplifications. Now, on the other hand, methylated cytosines are protected from deamination. So what results is ostensibly a simple genotyping problem where following treatment with sodium bisulfite, you can, you can compare um, the gene sequence with either methylation-specific primers and probes or using sequencing. If you have single genes or regions, um, PCR and prior sequencing will suffice, and you can also use array-based approaches or sequencing approaches to measure DNA methylation. The current um, method that is being used in the data I'm going to show today is from an, an Illumina product called the 450K Methylation Array. They just released about, oh gosh, two months ago. They announced the next generation of this array, and we're moving to uh, the new platform soon. But uh, for today, most of the data comes from this array, which includes almost a half a million CBG sites for each sample, uh, essentially all genes uh, known by and annotated in RefSeq are covered, and we're capturing about 20 CBG sites per gene. But the important thing to remember about the data here is that the methylation values resulting from this array range from zero to one, and they represent the proportion of methylated alleles. So on any given, of course, on any given cytosine, methylation is either present or absent. But we're measuring many, many strands of DNA from different cells, sometimes a lot of the same cells if they're tumors. And so the, the value represents the proportion of uh, methylated alleles. So the first uh, story I'm going to tell you about is uh, a study of pre-invasive breast cancer, DCIS, and where we measured methylation and asked whether we could understand if methylation patterns in DCIS are different in women who later develop invasive breast cancer compared with women who over a similar follow-up time uh, have not or did not develop invasive breast cancer. To do this, we collaborated with Tracy Onaga and her group with the New Hampshire Mammography Network. We identified um, 13 DCIS cases with a subsequent diagnosis of invasive breast cancer, and we matched approximately two to one on age to DCIS cases in women who did not have a diagnosis of invasive breast cancer over a similar follow-up period of, uh, on average, seven years. So we have a fair bit of follow-up time on these individuals. The, all of the samples were um, reviewed uh, by Jonathan Maradi and Eric Jensen in pathology to select uh, this DCIS, they tend to be fairly small lesions, and so we had to review the slides and select the regions of the block that were uh, DCIS so that we could uh, access them and, and extract DNA from actual DCIS. And in addition, we collected some ad adjacent normal tissues, which is um, some of the data I showed earlier. We then used the 450K array to measure DNA methylation, and we also moved to test the relation of methylation with gene expression from our findings. And to sum up, because this work uh, was recently published, we identified over 600 CPG sites with significantly altered methylation in the DCIS specimens from women who later developed invasive breast cancer compared to the women who didn't. And this is, the, the thresholds here were not just statistical significance, but magnitude of difference in methylation being at least 10% between these two patient groups. To show some representative cumulative incidence plots, uh, 
for a couple of the genes where higher methylation was related with increased hazard of developing invasive breast cancer in the future. Um, these are shown here, and our uh, Cox proportional hazard, hazards models are adjusted, of course, for subject age, as well as uh, DCIS grade. We also were interested in understanding whether there was an enrichment for certain biological processes or genomic features among the identified genes with progression-related methylation alterations in DCIS. And, and using a gene set enrichment approach, we identified both polycomb group target genes and homeobox genes to be enriched among the progression-related uh, genes in DCIS, as well as, uh, and this was perhaps not too surprising given our previous work, but that CPG islands were significantly more likely to have altered methylation than, than elsewhere in the genome. But another question that we had is whether we may observe transcription factor binding site methylation alterations. And uh, this uh, we found we, we actually didn't observe any alterations uh, here to be enriched among these genes, but it is something that we're continuing to think about and, and may, um, he doesn't know this, but we may try to uh, talk to Chow about using his, his activity, uh, transcription factor activity work to uh, extend that investigation. We also wanted to ask whether the methylation alterations that were related with development of invasive breast cancer have any evidence for being related with altered gene expression, so actual uh, gene function. And to do this, we accessed uh, stage one ER positive breast tumor data from the TCGA where both DNA methylation and gene expression exist. So here this was meant to be a surrogate because we didn't have um, remaining tissue substrate or uh, time and money at the time to conduct comprehensive gene expression analyses. And what we observed was that there were about a third of the genes uh, with altered methylation had significant relationships with gene expression and that these tended to be context-dependent. Usually, um, we observe a relation of increased methylation with decreased expression, and this tends to track to uh, near the transcription start site, which is consistent with the idea of CPG island methylation at a promoter region. But we also observed increased methylation associated with increased expression in the gene body of, um, and I don't know if you can read this in the audience, but it's, um, this is a long non-coding RNA to uh, follow on last week's grand rounds. This is um, hot air, which is um, part of the HOC-C cluster on, on chromosome 12, but it actually um, acts in trans to repress the HOC-D cluster on uh, chromosome 2 in many different tumor types, uh, which suggests that um, our results are consistent with the literature and uh, have functional significance. So for this piece, um, just to sum up, we identified um, and validated DNA methylation alterations that differentiate DCIS from subjects uh, who later developed invasive breast cancer. And at the beginning of the talk, I showed you that uh, a majority of alterations in the continuum from normal breast to invasive breast cancer occur early because here, even in DCIS, we see vast alterations in methylation compared to normal tissue. 
I shared a little bit of evidence for uh, altered gene expression being related with these methylation changes. And one of the directions for this analysis is to estimate the copy number changes and ask whether copy number alterations in DCIS may also be related with hazard of progression to invasive disease. And for those of you who um, study copy number alterations in your work, I would, uh, I just want to say that one of the advantages of using the array-based approach to measuring DNA methylation is that it's ostensibly a genotyping assay. The chemistry is the same. And because of that, you can use the fluorescence intensity signals from the array to infer copy number, which basically means that it's a two for one. So every time you measure methylation with this array, you can also get a copy number data set. And so we're moving to uh, include those analyses as well as integrative analyses uh, in, in our work going forward. Brock? Yes? Did, did you see any relationship between methylation and um, subtype of the eventual cancer? Oh. Right. That's a good question. And it's so we haven't looked at eventual subtype um, with respect to intrinsic subtype, but uh, we and I'm not sure if Kevin looked at clinical subtype or not. But I don't. Uh, I don't. We may not have done that, and that's something we should definitely. Do it is a small number of cases, but it's definitely, again, given the the differences I highlighted earlier between invasive breast tumor subtype methylation, um, it's certainly something we can look into. Could you comment on cause and effect? Could these methylation differences occur because they came from a cell? That is more a stem cell-like character, which might have handled different methylation patterns versus acquiring methylation differences during the expansion. Right. So, so as opposed to being in response to an altered metabolic microenvironment, or yeah, that I mean that's a good question, and and I don't um, more of a discussion really. I, I mean I think. <clears throat> We don't have data to begin to answer that question. It's certainly something I'm interested in. And one of the ways that we're beginning to think about that is by measuring uh, the so-called sixth base, which is hydroxymethylcytosine, uh, because that is a mark that uh, could be involved in the removal of methylcytosine from DNA, because there is no, um, there, there's limited evidence for an active DNA demethylase. And um, I'm not going to share that work today, but we have measured hydroxymethylcytosine in normal breast tissues. And one of the, one of the hypotheses is that hydroxymethylcytosine is, is, is important, particularly in stem cells, where it has been shown to be abundant, um, and that it may uh, be akin to the uh, notion of poised chromatin. Right, so it's in potentially an intermediate state that can, in a daughter cell, go in either direction, and that um, could help to get at that question. But we're not quite there yet. So, sort of getting at Mike's question, 
Do you use some printed genes as sort of internal controls? Are they ever altered in their methylation patterns? Or so Process right, so uh, we don't specifically test for, uh, I mean, in our analyses of, say, gene set or, or, or genomic context enrichment, uh, we don't include um, in imprinted genes as a specific target, but we could. You, you suggest that the methylation is a very early one. So that implies that when the cell of the CPG site is methylated, this will be preserved until the later stage of the tumor. Right. You have the sample from the, the same system, uh, the comparison. Right. That's an, that's an excellent question, and it's um, we do need to go back to uh, pathology and, and I think we should, it makes sense to identify the invasive tumors from these women with DCS we studied and, and measure those as well. So um, the next piece I want to talk about is, is trying to um, identify common DNA methylation alterations across breast tumor subtypes. And um, before I do that, I do need uh, to tell you a little bit more about DNA methylation and cell type. So this is, again, the TCGA data where we know about gene expression-based intrinsic subtypes, and there are these uh, methylation clusters that relate with those. We know that methylation alterations are extensive between tumor and normal, and, and again, that the expression subtypes are related with methylation. But it's also true that DNA methylation patterns have cell type specificity, that, and that could be uh, playing into our, that should potentially be accounted for in our analytic approach. And so I'm going to digress for a moment here and tell you about a, a, our multi-institutional DMR working group where we've been uh, for several years pursuing differentially methylated regions uh, related with cell type to follow um, uh, some earlier work. And this is to give you an example of uh, this application where we've used flow sorting of specific immune cell subsets and then asked whether we can identify differentially methylated regions that are specific to certain cell types. This is um, work that was done a few years ago, and then a related uh, algorithm for estimating proportions of cell types using DNA methylation uh, in peripheral blood has been published, and several uh, other related papers have since uh, been published as well. One of the things about this initial method, though, is we weren't doing a very great job of distinguishing among different T cell subtypes. And so more recently, um, we've begun to try and address that. And I should also say that, you know, part of the reason for this is that if we can use methylation to estimate cell type proportions, then we can begin to ask questions about the immune system in the context of peripheral blood anyway, whether or not shifts in immune cell proportions might be related with exposures or outcomes. And uh, we're doing a little bit of this work in collaboration with uh, Camillo Fadul, who uh, recently left, and, and Gilbert, who's analyzed some pre- and post-treatment uh, GBM blood specimens, and we're seeing large shifts in cell-type proportions related with 
uh, pre and post treatment. But we're, it also allows, if we're able to estimate immune cell types, then one is able to adjust for variation in those cell types to have a better understanding of um, what methylation alterations are related with outcome irrespective of mixture of sample types in a sample. And as we saw a few weeks ago in, in Chow's talk, there are similar methods uh, that have been proposed for gene expression data, which is great. And, and there is, of course, an abundance of gene expression data relative to methylation data. And, and one of the, the things I would say here is that um, both methods work pretty well. Um, and one of the advantages, though, of using methylation is that the, there's a much more direct and linear relation of methylation signal with uh, cell number because the number of copies of DNA is more stable compared with uh, the number of message transcripts per cell, which you know, on average can be maybe a dozen or 13 transcripts per cell, but can, can vary depending on the gene and depending on the cell. So this is more recent work using the 450K array and a, a revised algorithm for estimating cell types. This is uh, work led by Devin Kessler, uh, who many of you know because he was a postdoc here at Dartmouth, and he uh, took a, a tenure-track faculty position at, at Kansas University Medical Center. And this work is in revision. But one of the things I just want to sh show you here is that we're now getting, we're now able to uh, do a much better job discriminating between uh, subsets of T cells. And moving forward, we're going to be doing additional work in, in other cell types. What's shown here are the um, predicted cell fractions from the new algorithm-based uh, identification of differentially methylated regions and their correlation with fluorescence-based uh, cell sorting. I just will draw your attention to the R-squareds here and the uh, root mean square errors which are very, uh, R-squareds are very high and the errors are extremely low, suggesting that we're able to very accurately estimate cell type proportion using DNA methylation data. However, we're talking about tumors today, and we can ask whether it really makes sense to try and adjust for cell type when analyzing tumor methylation data. And that's because dedifferentiation of tumors and, and to the heterogeneity across tumors in their methylation pattern can complicate this, and including complicating the notion of cell type itself. At the same time, if we're able to adjust for the influence of heterogeneity and cell type heterogeneity in these samples, uh, we may be able to have more robust results. So shown here is... Uh, histologic evaluation of TCGA breast tumors that indicates variation in cell proportions in these samples. So the uh, tumors tend to be greater than 75% tumor cells. And uh, at the same time, there is, of course, some surrounding stromal cells and even uh, you know, some normal cells in a field when they're measured. So this suggests that uh, we may want to try to adjust for cell type in our analysis. However, currently, uh, there's a lack of reference libraries for purified tumor cells, and of course heterogeneity there is a complication, but also for breast cell types themselves. So we need a different approach to be able to do this. And uh, Andy Hausman, in collaboration with Carmen, uh, just last year released a method that is a reference-free based approach to adjusting for cell mixture. 
So again, here we're interested in identifying common DNA methylation alterations between tumor and normal breast tissue that are common across tumor subtype where we know there are methylation alterations that are specific to subtype. And the reason that we're interested in doing this is because if we can identify genes with altered methylation in all the tumor subtypes, these may be some of the key drivers of carcinogenesis. The idea is to try and see um, through the 100,000 CPGs that were altered between DCIS and normal and start to ask whether or not we can have a shorter list. So again, our challenges here are the profound distortion of methylation between tumor and normal, potential variations in proportions of tumor stromal and normal cells in these samples, as well as the known differences in methylation among breast tumor subtypes. To try and address some of these challenges, we can, we're going to focus on low-stage tumors. We're going to adjust for the cell type effects with reference-free mixture adjustment. And we're going to stratify by breast tumor subtype. To do this, we use TCGA data, uh, tumor data, low-stage, stage one and two uh, tumors, and almost 100 adjacent normal specimens. We also applied, um, we also investigated uh, data from a validation set of tumors from Vesela Christensen's lab in Oslo, Norway. And to give you a sense of the magnitude of difference between tumor and normal in, in basal tumors specifically, these tend to be triple negative tumors. Shown here is a log negative p-value on the y-axis, and you can see that uh, these alterations are highly significant. However, when we adjust for cell type and we keep this scale the same, the signal and, and magnitude of effect attenuates greatly, suggesting that we are uh, adjusting away a lot of the effects. However, when you zoom back in on the, the y-axis, these alterations in methylation remain highly significant, although there are fewer of them, suggesting that we are beginning to get at the alterations that are uh, specific to tumor compared to normal and while adjusting for cell type. When we do this across each of the intrinsic subtypes and ask what is the overlap in methylation in genes with altered methylation between tumor and normal, we were somewhat surprised but also happy to see that the, the number was relatively manageable. I mean, we, we identified 12 gene regions with significantly differentially methylated uh, gene regions in low stage versus normal across these tumor subtypes. And when you plot these data, you can see that there's uh, using, again, this is back to the raw methylation values, you can still see very good segregation of, of tumor from normal tissue. We then moved to validate this data in a second data set and observed um, <coughs> 10 of 12 differentially methylated gene regions were validated at, um, after adjusting for multiple comparisons. And we can, again, plot these data and observe uh, a strong segregation of tumor from normal. So here we um, hope that we've identified uh, some common methylation alterations that may have true functional consequences for early alterations driving the carcinogenic process. And that's something that uh, we're going to follow up on in the future. In addition, we're going to continue to work with the um, in the DMR space or differentially methylated region space, both in 
additional immune subsets, so T regulatory cells, myelin-derived suppressor cells, classical and non-classical monocytes, and others. Uh, but we're also going to be analyzing some DNA methylation data from normal breast tissue, where even though uh, we won't necessarily take uh, whole tissues and disaggregate them and sort cells, we're going to try and leverage uh, whole genome bisulfide sequencing data and, and map those data to our array platform so we can uh, skip, the, skip the disaggregation step and save some money at the same time. Right. Yes? Simplistic question. Sure. Back to the core gene groups for the 12 or whatever that were Yes. Would those include genes, the usual suspect genes that have to do with DNA cell, DNA replication, cell division, those kinds of things? Right. So, good news would yeah. that, that you would expect that. The bad news would be that could be more of the effect than the cause of the chicken and egg kind of scenario. Right, exactly. So, so. That's an excellent question, and I, and I uh, vacillated between sharing the gene list and, and not. However, I can tell you that there are um, several genes on the list that were maybe not a surprise. One was histone deacetylase 4, another was Raptor, um, and there are others that I had, had not heard of but uh, do are you know, implied in, in the carcinogenic process. However, one of the things that's really interesting um, is that the alterations to these genes tended to be in the gene body, which is not, um, I don't want to say it's, it's not typical, but it's, it's a place in the genome where people have only more recently begun to measure for altered methylation. People used to believe that all of the methylation alterations or those that were of most uh, biologic significance were in the gene promoter. And so only as the technology has expanded to include these other regions have we, have we begun to target them. And the reason why I think it might be particularly interesting that it, the alterations tend to be occurring in the gene body is that it may have something to do with control of either alternative splicing transcripts or potentially even expression of long, long non-coding RNAs that may act uh, in cis to regulate that gene as well. So that, that there is a lot of exciting um, things to follow up on there, we hope, at least. So last, in the last few minutes, I'm going to share a story um, that we've been working on where we try to estimate the burden of methylation alterations in tumors. And we, part of the reason we want to do this is we want to start to understand uh, or at least be able to compare the burden of methylation alterations to the burden of somatic genetic alterations such as mutation and copy number alteration. Part of the motivation for this, again, comes from TCGA working groups. Um, this paper was published two years ago in Nature and provides a pan-cancer picture of the magnitude of mutation frequency in, uh, from exome sequencing. This is um, Getz, Lander, Meyerson, and others at the Broad. And you can see that uh, you may not be able to read it, but it's melanoma way over at the right. And um, this graph shows that they're mostly C to T transitions related with UV exposure and on down the line. So we wanted to develop a summary measure for whole genome methylation alteration and um, to be able to compare tumors and their burden of methylation alterations. We did this using median normal. And part of the 
the concept here, which um, is not incredibly complex but important, is that depending on where a particular CPG site is in the genome, its basal state in a normal cell is either methylated or unmethylated. So if it's away from a, from a CPG island or, and tends to be away from genes, uh, those CPGs tend to be methylated. This has to do with keeping uh, regions of the genome that used to be considered junk and, and may encode uh, retrotransposons, which could be active, keeping them silent. Whereas when you're near a gene promoter or in a CPG island, the alterations, um, you, sh you see increased methylation in tumor compared to normal. So um, we have to take the absolute difference and, and collapse these things to get a sense of the burden of alteration across the genome. So we've done this in uh, the TCGA breast tumors, and uh, we used our measure, summary measure of methylation alteration to compare with <coughs> mutation and copy number alteration. Shown here is um, methylation, our methylation dysregulation index stratified by intrinsic tumor subtype. You can see the same, uh, or you can see a similar plot for the fraction of the genome with copy number alterations by subtype as well as uh, mutation burden. These uh, epigenetic and genetic alteration burden summary measures are, are associated, significantly associated with subtype adjusting for age and tumor stage. And we can nest, next ask whether these alterations are occurring in concert or potentially somewhat independently of each other. And by normalizing the measures to each other and clustering them uh, we've identified these six alteration classes, and um, we see that the magnitude of, or the cla that class membership is significantly associated with intrinsic subtype, and plotted here is class membership for each of the summary measures. And um, one of the things that's true here, the majority, 90% of the luminal uh, B tumors are in this class on the far right, this pink color and that um, we see some stark differences in classes by fraction of the genome altered and then sort of this linear stepwise increase ac across our classes in methylation dysregulation. So um, we can see that the extent of methylation dysregulation and fraction of the genome with alterations is significantly rela related with intrinsic breast cancer subtype and um, that these somatic alteration burdens uh, do correlate with each other. One of the things that we're also observing is that there are specific gene mutations that are uh, more prevalent in particular of these alteration classes, and that is something that we can pursue in the future. But another direction for this analysis uh, is to take a similar approach to, that, uh, to Lawrence et al. And, and compare tumor methylation with normal across tumor subtypes and try to uh, gain an understanding of methylation dysregulation in that sense. And one of the things that's true here is that we see um, the, the order of these alterations, which of course is just sorted by methylation dysregulation index, as was the uh, mutation burden figure. The, the, the order of these tumors is, is tracking in a similar fashion um, to those in the mutation burden analysis, and um, we're, going, we're interested to pursue this in the future, and uh, there's a new postdoc in the lab, Lucas Salas, who is actively working on this project. So I think um, that's it for the data. There are a lot of people who contributed to this work. Um, 
including Kevin Johnson, who's planning to graduate in the spring. Other current lab members are shown here as well. Uh, the paper on common alterations in breast cancer across subtypes is work of a rotation student in the lab who uh, has since moved to Penn. And uh, the methylation burden work was actually uh, contributed by both uh, Kevin and an undergrad who worked with us in his senior year in the lab. Of course, I want to thank um, the DMR working group and uh, our collaborators in Oslo. I hope I get to visit them someday. And um, the mammography network, our pathology collaborators and friends, all the study participants, and uh, my funding. Thank you. Um, I don't know if there's enough cells there, but did you find any immune signature that correlated with progression? So that's, that's an excellent question. And we are actively interested in pursuing trying um, development of algorithms for estimation of immune cell proportions in tissue samples so that we can ask questions about infiltrating lymphocytes in tumors as, as well as um, potentially you know, other disease states. How do you methylation patterns from, say, uh, cell lines or mm -hmm. clinical tumors? There are especially preclinical tumors, say, in a mouse. Mm -hmm. If there's any commonality, maybe those could be... Yeah, so, right. Um, mice are a little bit challenging because the uh, comparison, a lot of the data methylation data that has been collected has been collected with this array-based, the genome-wide methylation data that's been collected has been collected with this array-based platform because when you treat genomic DNA with sodium bisulfite, you reduce the complexity of the genome because most cytosines are converted, which creates an alignment problem for whole genome bisulfite sequencing that makes it much more expensive than uh, whole genome sequencing. So. Uh, without a co comparable platform, I think it's been challenging to collect the data. I would, it's certainly of interest. To answer your question about cell lines, it's known that cells that adapt to the in vitro culture environment have an altered, they, they undergo methylation alterations that are related to adaptation to culture. It's something that we've been interested in measuring because, and the experiment is, is relatively straightforward, but could be very interesting, because if you had a panel of cell lines or a panel of, of primary tissues that you were con in the act of converting to cell lines and you were able to harvest at various time points, what you could do is you could begin to understand where the alterations to methylation that are related to um, adaptation to cell culture are occurring, and then it would allow you to use those model systems in a way that has uh, more appropriate interpretations of results in the future, right? So that you're able to uh, say something about whether or not the patterns you're observing have to do with adaptation to culture or if they're actually related to, say, a drug treatment or a treatment with a carcinogen in vitro. Um, the, the other thing I'll say about that is 
With respect to identifying differentially methylated regions associated with cell type, that's sort of this, there's a similar idea there because it's not, it is definitely true that not, it's not every single CPG site in the genome, it's not every single gene that is differentially methylated in relation with cell type. A lot of cell types have the same genes that are expressed in them, right? So it's a matter of, of, of getting a short list. Exactly, it's a matter of getting a, a short list and, and knowing how best to interpret results and being able to, you know, being able to account for effects that might be due to cell type or might be due to culture. We've talked about the culture experiment uh, before. We just we haven't done it yet. It's expensive. So, I'm, the genome's a really big place, and uh, yep. we have twelve regions that are common. Right. You mentioned that one of those had to do with the population pathway of genes. Uh, histone deacetylase. But, but right, so it's, an, it's a master regulator of, of right, so the epigenome. Could, could your assumption that there has to be a common pattern be flawed in the sense that because you know that the genetic profile and the driver genes in each of these different subtypes, so why would you make the assumption that right. there has to be a common so, so, so I should clarify, I, we, we by no means were assuming that we would find common alterations. I mean, we, the question, the reason why we were asking the question is because if, in part, there were common alterations and it was able to reduce the target list, it would, it would make for an, a question that could then be approached in, in a model system in a more efficient way. But we didn't necessarily believe, I mean, that's a, part of the reason we asked the question is because we see such stark differences by methylation or by intrinsic subtype of disease. However, the, one of the motivating factors that I didn't really talk about a whole lot is that if, if we were able to have a panel of common early methylation alterations, you might be able to, to start moving towards a, a primary, a secondary prevention uh, or, or screening-based approach. And one of, the, one of the things that we're doing and I didn't talk about today is we're moving towards analyzing DNA methylation in normal tissues from normal breasts from disease-free subjects. And in collaboration with the New Hampshire birth cohort study, uh, we've been collecting breast milk samples uh, for almost two years now. And we have a, a freezer filling up and, and we're beginning to measure methylation in those samples because if you can have um, identify, it's, a, it's an opportunity potentially to identify early alterations. However, we didn't necessarily believe that um, we didn't necessarily believe that we would, would find these common alterations, and, and we're particularly um, surprised by the observation that they were tracking to gene bodies, um, which that, and the other thing I would say is that that doesn't necessarily suggest that um, it's methylation itself that um, is the cause of um, or contributing to the, the, the cars, contributing to carcinogenesis, it could be that there is an effect of that methylation that is contributing to carcinogenesis. And, and what's really interesting about that is if we can begin to understand what that is, that it might be more targetable than um, the current strategy, current therapeutic strategies for uh, epigenetic inhibition, whether it's histone deacetylase inhibitors, which are broad. DNA methyltransferase inhibitors, which are broad, um, but we, we have a lot, a lot to do yet with that uh, result.
context of those broad inhibitors, I mean, if people have done study, I mean, it seems smart that a tumor would co-opt uh, epigenetic mechanisms to escape treatment. Is there evidence that in the absence of de novo mutations, tumors radically rearrange their gene expression pattern through methylation during the course of treatment? And the cells that grow out on the other side would, would have been responsive to, to broad acting epigenetic? Yeah, I don't know that there is much evidence for that, but we are interested in the relation of uh, methylation patterns with response to treatment, and specifically um, in uh, testicular cancer, uh, Mike Spinell's been doing a lot of work, and we've recently begun a collaboration based on his studies of testicular germ cell tumors and response to cisplatin, because there's a, a one of his collaborators at Indiana has a clinical trial where they're using DNA methyltransferase inhibitors uh, in refractory TCGTs. We're beginning, we're, um, I'm just a, a participant, but you know, Mike's leading the work uh, in that realm. It's, it's something we may be able to start to address there. But there aren't many solid tumors where, where DNA methyltransferase inhibitors um, are applied. When you compare your methyl uh, mutation index to the mm -hmm. chain can you compare gene by gene to see if there are oncogenes being suppressed or mm. suppressors We could. Yeah, I mean, that's something that um, we may, uh, right, we'd have to be, uh, we would definitely have to have an analysis plan so that we didn't, you know, so that we could choose some, have a, uh, a thoughtful approach to choosing target genes that, uh, would be more likely to, where we'd be more likely to observe uh, the pattern of interest because, I mean, otherwise it could be too, too big of a problem to tackle, but. Yes? When you looked at the TCG data and you saw some upregulation of population and increased expression, which, and then you saw mm -hmm. the alternate, was mm -hmm. that, a, is that come as a surprise to you? Or how did you yes, so um, it, Right, and that's why uh, I showed the plot, because typically we would expect to observe increased methylation related with decreased gene expression, and that's related with CPG island methylation in gene promoters. And so that's why it was exciting to see increased expression uh, associated with gene body methylation, and that, that it happened to occur in a long non-coding RNA is, is of particular interest, and especially one that's been shown to be important in, in uh, several cancers. So at the same time, um, there would, you know, additional work needs to be, needs to be done to, to follow up on, on hot air. And um, in fact, other, we, we're gonna begin to maybe build into our analysis plans, uh, targeting of, of non-coding RNA related methylation alterations for that reason. Okay, thank you.